Welcome to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Kyle Logan, titled Willing Versus Willful, from the series Living with Purpose. For more info, visit creekside.org. We have been focused on the imitation of Christ, and one of the greatest things and tools we've been given by Christ is free will. Let's face it, sometimes it's a huge blessing. Sometimes it's a total curse. Am I right? Who here is, you know, kind of used their free will to get into a little bit of trouble? Chris Kyle, I see that. <laughs> Randy Deskin, I see that. I'm just teasing you guys. That's what happens when you're family and you know people, you can tease them from the pulpit. You don't get embarrassed. Okay, I know I have. But let's define will. Dictionary.com, because let's face it, we all use the internet for everything. Dictionary.com defines will as the faculty by which a person decides on and initiates action or a deliberate and fixed desire or intention. Now, deliberate. Deliberate. Have you ever asked somebody, hey, why did you choose to do that? Sometimes the answer, many times the answer is, I don't know. I don't know why I did that. And sometimes it, it's, it's, it's a shunning of responsibility. I don't know. Life's just bad. Whatever. It's not a big deal. It's not that bad of a thing. I just did it. Whatever. Other times people genuinely respond with, well, I, I don't know why I did that. They didn't understand the governing principle of their gut or what pushed them towards it or whatever. Well, we're going to look at that today. We're going to unmask the mystery of will a little bit, and we're going to learn about the deliberate and fixed desire of our intentions, what they cause us to do. To understand this, we're all made in the image of God. So let's talk about God's intentions really quick. I'm going to back this up with Scripture, but I'm going I'm to make a statement. God has one intention for you. Have you ever wondered and been like, oh, what is God's will in my life? What is it? May the clouds part and may a bird come down and may the bird be carrying a fortune cookie or something like that. And may the fortune cookie say... Thou art to be a baker or something like that and feed the homeless. I, you know, quite frankly, those are, those are very definitive things. More often than not, God gives you a direction and then allows you to choose what you do when you go in that direction so long as you go in that direction. And I want to share with you the one overarching umbrella of will that God has in your life. And it's this, that you be transformed to the image of his son. Let me back that up. I'm going to crack open 2 Corinthians. I'm going to look at verse 16 through uh, chapter 6, verse 16 through just to the beginning of verse uh, chapter 7. I'll give you a moment to get there and then I'm going to read into it. Let me just explain really quickly. Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. He's always addressing the church at Corinth. They got problems. I mean, really, they got problems. You know why? Because they're a church made up of human beings. But I mean, they got a few more problems than your average church. They got a, a problem with idols. They got a problem with lust. They got a problem with all sorts of different things. They got, you know, craziness going on. And Paul, affectionately, as a father of the faith, writes to them, and he calls them back to the fold of God. And he does it in this beautiful way. He's written this letter to him, and right at the end, in the middle of this letter, I'm sorry, in the middle of this letter, he quotes scripture from previously in the Bible, and he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
You know what the temple of God is, right? You and me. It's the church. It's all of us when we're gathered. We're the temple of God. He says, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? None. We can have no idols, right? It's all about Jesus. For we are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from them. He's saying, come out from the wicked. Come out from the darkness. Come out from sin. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch nothing unclean. I will welcome you, and I will be your father. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. I love how this encapsulates the Bible. It basically says God is with us, living among us, in us. We are the temple of God. And as a result, hey, let's be different. Let's be changed by it. Let's walk away from the darkness. Let's make ourselves pure. Let's endeavor to serve him. Let's endeavor to love him. It's an invitation of the will to follow the Lord Almighty, to be a son and daughter. And then it caps it off with this making holiness perfect in the fear of God. Have you ever stood at the Grand Canyon? I haven't, by the way. (laughs) But I've ridden a horse on a beach, and that's real scary. (laughs) I'm so serious, and it hurts. It hurts. But here's, here's the deal. When you stand at something like the Grand Canyon and you look, deeply into it. You recognize that it's beautiful. So beautiful, it's almost terrifying because you, <laughs> you realize that if you go off this edge, that's it. It's, it's not as if you fear the canyon. I mean, you respect and revere the power that it has in the natural world. God, much more so. Not only does he have power in the natural, he has power in the supernatural, the physical, the spiritual, all of it. He's the king of kings. And so when it talks about fear of the Lord, it's really the understanding that like this, you don't stand behind a horse because you don't want to get kicked. You don't get in the way of the living God because he's pretty powerful in and of himself. So it's a reverence. Are we following? Are we tracking? It's good. It's good. Now, here is what we are seeing in this family structure that God's provided. I've often wondered just how far I would have to study the word of God to, to get it. As if, right? Hey, you guys, you guys ever look at this thing and just go, oh my gosh, I don't understand. There's too much here. There's just too much. How do I get it into my brain, right? God gave me a huge blessing. I worked at a church in Southern California before coming here. And I had a co-pastor there, and he is probably, I think he's already done with it, but at the time he was pursuing his master's in divinity. We'd have these long theological discussions, and can I tell you something blissful? It's this. There was nothing he understood that I didn't understand too. And so with you. I don't know anything that you can't possibly understand because Scripture says that if you seek the Lord, He reveals Himself to you. There is no mystery hidden in here that your Father in Heaven doesn't want you to know. No money or education that any of us pursue could separate another person from the knowledge of God. And quite frankly, He and I, our job was simply to love people. 
That's my job. That's our job, right? In that, we fulfill the wholeness of this book. Boom. It used to really make him mad, you know, because I would say, hey, man, there's nothing hidden in this book that, that you can dig up by knowing Hebrew and Greek that I can't see in God's creation. And it wasn't like we argued over it. I was just trying to help him, you know, understand that we all have access to God and we can elevate ourselves and seek him and know him more and more and more, which is what he was doing. But we don't have to be in a classroom to do it. So that being said, vice versa. So, so with you guys, there's nothing Terry knows that you can't find out about God. I mean, granted, he's been pursuing the Lord for a really long time. He knows a whole lot more than I do. But man, maybe I'll catch up one day. I don't know. I know that if I seek God, he's going to reveal himself to me. Because that's what he says, and that's what I've experienced. And that's what's available to all of us. So in this family structure, you and I, here we are, called. There's a reason we're all here. There's a reason we have all responded. We're sons and daughters, right? Or we can be if we choose to be. You might not be this morning, but that's okay. Let's look at what it would really mean if we lived as family. Romans 8, 28 through 30. I'm going to just flip there. This is a really, really great book. If you're maybe newer in your faith or whatever, crack open Romans and read it because honestly, it's going to just inspire you and uplift you and help you and, and encourage you. Romans is an incredible book. But for the sake of today's lesson, we're going to focus on chapter 8, Verse 28, this is a really great verse that says this, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is. In order that we might be the first, that he might be the firstborn within a large family. How cool is that? I love that idea, a large family. And I got Jesus as an older brother. Pretty much nothing else I could ask for more. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Listen, if you know Jesus, he offers you his justice. You get to borrow it and wear it. And you get to be a brother and a sister with God. If you're here, it's no mistake. No mistake. So what does it mean to actually be part of that family? Because that sounds like a bushel of good news. Well, let's break it down. What we're seeing is a blueprint for the family tree of God with God the Father at the helm, Jesus, his first son, and not only his first son, but Jesus is the model for us. There's this thing, though. See, it's called converse logic. It has nothing to do with the shoes. If you like Chuck Taylors, remember this one. Converse logic. What that means is, if this is true, the opposite is also true. I mean, that's kind of oversimplifying it, but it's simple. If you can be conformed to the image of God, guess what else? You can also not be conformed to the image of God. Do you see what I'm saying there? Well, what does that look like, not being conformed to the image of God, to be contrary to that? Well, see, that's where our will comes in. You can either be willing or you can be willful. God's given you this amazing blessing. It's, it's your free will. It's the ability to choose to participate or not in his kingdom. And we go, okay, cool. Will, free will. I get it. There's a lot of evil in the world. Uh, 
evil is bad people using their free will for bad. Okay, good. Cool. I get it. And then we close the book on will. But there's so much more there. You guys have heard me probably say this in previous talks about being a good person. The criteria for being a good person, are you ready? I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. It's good. Please don't continue on from there. It's an excellent starting point. But God has more for you. It doesn't stop there. You see, we have to use our will for the pursuit of God. Let me give you a little equation. When we do good, kind, kingdom of God activities and choices, we're enriched. Our souls are lifted because we feel closer to God. I want you to think of a season of your life where you felt really close to God. Just your burdens were lighter. You were reading the Bible more, whatever it is that you consider to be the right thing a good Christian does. You were doing that, whatever it is. And, and, and you had peace, and you had comfort, and you had all these things. And sometimes you think about it, and you're like, man, I sure wish I could get back there to where I was before with God or, you know, what have you. Can I just tell you something? It's very likely that when you were in that phase of your life, your will was submitted to God, and that is why you found such peace. People talk to me about it all the time. You know, being a pastor, they say, oh, pastor, you know, back when I was in college and I had time to read the word or back when I, before I had the kids and I had time to read the word and all of this stuff. And, and let me tell you something, reading the word is really, really great. Praying is really, really great. There's not one thing you can do that puts a corner on God and can get you, quote, in, the, in it with him. There's a lot of things we can do to pursue Christ. But let me just tell you, seek the will of God. Align your will with it. I told you what God's will is for your life, right? What is it? That you be conformed to the image of Jesus. There, thank you. <laughs> that you be conformed to the image of his son. That's it. That's the big umbrella. Everything else falls under that. But practically, what does that look like? Oh, my gosh. That's sort of a tall drink of water, right? That's a big order. Let me kind of give you a little bit of an example of it. The other night, I'm going to tell this story because I thought of it in first service. Um, and I was really glad my wife wasn't there for it. She's here for this one. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Literally last night. I'm not going to tell you where she's sitting. If you don't know her, I don't want to make her uncomfortable. <laughs> Literally last night, I was sitting working on my sermon. And it's just, it's been a long week. I wasn't finishing it or anything like that. I was refining it, just so you know. <laughs> and we're hanging out. And my wife goes, honey. And she's tired. It's, you know, it's been a long day, and we've, it's been a good one. But she goes, would you please go downstairs? In the car is my diaper bag, and in my diaper bag is my glasses. Would you get my glasses for me? Now, I had a choice. Okay, I had a choice, and that was, that was do the important spiritual work of refining my sermon <laughs> with my books around me with the smell of mahogany, or whatever have you. <laughs> or just get up and go downstairs and unfortunately dig through my wife's diaper bag. Now, can I just tell you something? I hate, I hate digging in a bag where I don't know where something is. Maybe you don't share that. But let me just tell you. <laughs> no, I, it's such a pet peeve for me when I'm like, it's like an avalanche of things. 
and you're sort of trying to compartmentalize it, and you can't see what you're looking for, and ten, nine times out of ten, you just begin to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And suddenly, you're like shoulder deep, and you expect Tumnus the Fawn from the Chronicles of Narnia to grab you from the other side. I just don't like it. I don't like doing it. But here's what I did, you guys. Here's what I did, and this is, this is such a small decision. But isn't our life made up of so many small decisions? That is all. Our life is made up of back-to-back tiny decisions, 365 days a year for as many years as God gives us. And in this moment, I'm not a saint, by the way, but in this moment, I made the decision to go downstairs into the garage and into her car and into the diaper bag. And guess what? The glasses weren't even in there. (laughs) But here's the deal. My will is captive. My will is captive to the will of the the Lord. And I could have very easily shunned it, the the request, with with a justifiable reason and been like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. You're just going to have to suffer through squinting at the TV from across the room. You know, we were watching like the fifth Harry Potter or something. And I don't, whatever you think about Harry Potter, this isn't about that. But I literally was just like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Turns out they weren't even in there. And then I had to make the decision for a second time. And this is where I really moved from good person to saint, just so you know. Because I, <laughs> I chose yet again to go do it. And, uh, and so I went and found him. But the bottom line is I, I made a choice. I could have been willing to serve my wife and love her in a very simple way, or I could have been willful and said, you know what, no, my will is that I get to do this thing right now that I'm doing, that I'm focused on, that's important, that I choose to make more important. But my will, in my desire to be more like Jesus, in this very simple, small decision, was manifested in this direction. You get what I'm saying? It's not as complicated as it sounds to be transformed to the image of God. All we have to do is turn off autopilot and begin to think day to day in the little things, what would Jesus do? So easy to forget. That's been on so many bracelets that I feel like it's lost meaning. Really, what would Jesus do? That's all it takes to be transformed to the image of God. That's all it takes to fulfill God's will in your life, is to ask yourself, what would Christ do? And then try to do it. I want to read you something. I've been reading this book. It's called... People of a Lie, and it's like one of the most heady books ever. It's hard to get through. I've got to reread parts of it over and over and over again. And he makes this great statement about, about human will and about evil. And it's this really, really cool moment. I want to read it to you. He says this. Malignant narcissism. We're going to move on from that, don't worry. Is characterized by an unsubmitted will. All adults who are mentally healthy submit themselves one way or another to something higher than themselves. Be it God or truth or love or some ideal, they do what God wants them to do rather than what they would desire. How simple is that? Thy will, not mine, be done, the God-submitted person says. They believe in what is true rather than what they would like to be true. What their beloved needs becomes more important to them than their own gratification. In summary, to a greater or lesser degree, all mentally healthy individuals submit themselves to the demands of their own conscience. But not so the evil. 
In the conflict between their guilt and their will, it is the guilt that must go and the will that must win. You see, I don't want to oversimplify it, but friends, we're either willing to follow God or we are willful against it for the purposes of our own gratification. God actually calls us his beloved. And the same towards him, that he's our beloved. In the same way that my wife is my beloved, in the same way that I love you. I'm either willingly following God and what he would ask me to do in loving you and serving you, or I'm willfully against it. I'm by no means saying that we will ourselves to a better life. I'm not saying five ways to a greater tomorrow and a better smile and tighter physique. I don't, whatever. This isn't a self-help talk. This is simply getting us to acknowledge that we have a will and that we use it every day and we got to know what we're using it for. We can't just sort of chalk it up to good things happen, bad things happen. It's all the universe who decides. No, we, 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 we have a power and we have an element of control and we have to flex it because in our modern day society, will is an unflexed muscle. The people with the strongest will are usually evil because they want their will to be manifested in your life. They, they, they use bullets and violence to cause their will to become reality. We must use love and action to make the reality of the kingdom of God apparent in this world. Right? Looking like Christ is not a passive activity. This isn't a, I'm just going to pray more and the world is going to get better. Quite frankly, if you've read a little further on, it gets worse before it gets better. That is not a reason to quit. That is a reason to double our efforts to join the tide of justice. Scripture says that the wicked flee when no one pursues. Their minds are filled with guilt, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Let's be lions for the gospel. Let's be lions for the love of God. Let us be active participants in his kingdom and let us usher him in through justice. What is one thing that tears families apart? It's hatred, prejudice, racism, judgment, unforgiveness. We're not going to embody that. I grew up in a family that was mixed. I loved it. My brother's like 10 feet tall in German. My mom's first husband was African-American, so my sister is this beautiful, slender, mixed girl, and I'm like four feet tall. <laughs> and I got a big nose to boot. But here's the deal. I didn't even believe in racism. I really didn't. I mean, for years, I was like, you know, people talk about how it's still out there and all this other stuff. The truth is, I had no concept of what it was like. And now, guys, we're becoming more and more aware that some parts of the world have not changed. Some hearts have not been affected by the reality of the world we live in now. You and I must be a force in the tide of goodness in this world. There is literally no one else who will do it. The church more than ever is the hope of the world. The church more than ever is relevant. The world needs us, needs you, needs me. Let's submit our will to the Lord and let's follow what he would have for us. Family is the total embodiment of this. Remember earlier how I asked you, okay, who's a child, who's a parent? We all raised our hands at some point and if you didn't, then you're a liar and you shouldn't lie in church. Here's the deal. <laughs> You know this, 
parents, you know this. Your kids are either obedient or they're not, right? They're either doing what you told them not to do, or doing what you told them to do, or they're not doing what you told them to do. There's kind of no in-between. And vice versa with us. If we're really sons and daughters of God, we're either obeying or we're not. There's kind of no gray area there. And we have to live as if we are. We can't live as if we pretend to know that we're brothers and sisters because then we pretend to know that we're forgiven and then we pretend to be happy about being forgiven. And by the end of the day, it's just tiring because we go to church and pretend to be happy, but we're not. Let's tap into reality. Let's believe that we're sons and daughters of God. Let's follow him. Let's experience real joy. Let's experience true salvation. And then let's share it. That is so much more than pretending. I'm going to talk a little bit about my role as a father in my kid's life. My daughter is a passion child. I heard somebody use this term. I think it was Pastor Jeremy. He said, he, I coined the term maybe passion child. And what that means is they're the family, they're the child in your family that literally embodies passion, you know. And we have two. And my son's very calm, except, you know, when he's upset. But he's very calm. And then my daughter She's nearly two, and she's just, she's intense. You've heard the word terrible twos, right? Okay. Here's what we do in my household. We don't say terrible twos because we don't want her walking around hearing us call her terrible all day long. We want her to hear other words. So we say, she's in her intense twos. <laughs> when she is intensely happy, oh, my word, it's like fireworks. If you show her a box wrapped in present paper with a bow, this is what she does. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> wow. You know? When she's upset. It's a great story. Uh, we went to Stinson Beach. <laughs> uh, well, that's a great story. How about this one? This is more recent. We went to the marina yesterday. And literally, I cannot tell you how many times it was like, don't go in the water. Don't go on the rocks. Don't go that way. And what you're doing is, because, you know, at this age, they don't fully understand why, and you don't have time to explain it because there's imminent danger. Uh, don't pick up bird poop, you know. Um, <laughs> and look, she's either listening or she's not. And she's a little too young to, to, to explain it all, too. So you just kind of have to channel them, right? You got to guide them. I'm never going to stop guiding my daughter, am I? I will always be participating in her life because here's the deal. That intense passion that she possesses that she's not going to stop possessing, and I know I'm in, it, in for it when she's 16, right? Don't even bother telling me that. I've heard it many times. Um, <laughs> if I can, as a parent, use my will, submitted to the will of God to help direct her will towards being a follower of Christ, imagine what her passion can do for the kingdom. It is simple. As being a brother of Jesus and a son of the Most High God, my calling in my family with my influence is to influence the world by changing my daughter's life with the transformative power of Jesus and hoping that that continues in concentric circles out. This is not passivity, right? 
I talked earlier about as Christians, you know, we're going to take action. We're not going to stand for injustice. Hey, one of the biggest ways we do it is through those we have influence of. Whether you have kids or not, you got influence over somebody. Whether it's yourself or your spouse or your friends or your coworkers or whoever. Don't abdicate your power. Take advantage of it and use your will partnered with the will of God and your willingness to follow the word to make a difference. It's a team sport. Here's another really quick story just because it's, it's a good one. My wife took her to Lindsay Wildlife Center and they went down to the second floor and they're having a good time. They're a great time. And she saw a bedraggled stuffed bear, one of the big ones from Costco. You might have seen him. And he was lying on his back. And he might as well have had a chalk line around him <laughs> because he looked like he was dead. And she saw him and she was deeply concerned for his well-being. And she ran to him and she said, Big a bear! And she threw herself on him and literally, if she had known chest compressions, she'd have been doing them. <laughs> Can you imagine that passion for the dying people of the world? Imagine if I can teach her to take that empathy and use it for the kingdom of God. I have a responsibility in being transformed to the image of God. I become more like Jesus. I live an example, love the example into my child's life. And I am fulfilling the calling of Christ in one area of my life. I want that for you. It doesn't matter who you have influence over someone. I want you to fulfill your calling as a transformed person in the image of Christ to loving people. Um, one of the other practical ways of doing this, because I've given you a couple simple examples from digging glasses out of a purse to literally helping teach and shape someone's life to become more like Christ. There's a little example. Here's a big example. Let me tell you another very practical example. One of the things my wife is doing with her is she's done this thing now called Thoughtful Thursday. She takes the kids to the park. And after they have fun, and they do, wild fun, don't go this way kind of fun. That's bird poop, that kind of fun. Um, once they have their fun, they clean up trash that isn't theirs. Because we need to leave this world better than we found it. It is not enough to make two or three angry Facebook posts. That doesn't change the world. Do something. Right? And uh, look... You know, they're not out there signing petitions outside of Walmart and trying to raise global awareness for whatever. A two-year-old, they're cleaning up trash in the park. You gotta do what matches where you're at in life. You gotta use the influence you have. There's just a few little practical examples from our life because we're trying, we're trying, you guys, to live this thing. We're trying to live it right. And I wanna share how we're doing that as a family because you and I are family. Okay. This is where we fit, my friends, in this crazy world. This is where we fit. We're people of influence. We're children of light. We can choose to use it. Willfully following, I'm sorry, willingly following the word of God or willfully choosing our own path. Let me give you a couple action steps. I told you some lessons from my life. You might want to use those if, if you have the opportunity to or, or adapt them, whatever it may be. But our will, especially our will in obedience to God, is something we have to practice. 
Maybe it's time to practice submitting to the will of God, practicing obedience. If you've been following him a while, this is a great place to go. I am always trying to do that more because, quite frankly, there are a lot of times where I, I let what I want to believe change what's really true sometimes. It's just a human thing. Here's another one. Maybe today's a day that you renew your commitment to, to Jesus and you seek for his will or invite his will into your life. That's a great step. That's a great step. Maybe you're not a person of faith. You're a person of exploration. You know what you can do? You can pray. And you can take action, like I was talking about. You can represent the tide of justice. You can ascribe to a higher ideal, whatever that may look like for you. I want to invite you into this, okay? Doesn't matter who you are, what, what you believe. I want to invite you into that tide of justice. I'm speaking to everybody because we all can do it. No matter where you are, faith or explain, uh, exploration, you can join with us not only in prayer but in action. For every ethnicity, for every badge number, for every lifestyle, for every person on the face of this earth, whatever their choices, we can be a living light. The Bible calls us salt and light. We can do that. We can respond and participate, be a partner of the gospel.